Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to the Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. For this program, we're going to talk about the very famous verse from John chapter 6 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we're going to learn all that we can from John chapter 6 that the true bread, the true nutrition on this planet is Jesus, who is the bread of life. But can I tell you what I thought of on, as I thought through this? I thought about the pizza of death. Can I tell you what happened to me? I go to this pizza place, they sell pizza by the slice. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so you could get two pieces of pizza for the price of one. And I thought, okay, I ate them. I got so sick. I go back to the office, and for about two hours, I've never been this sick in my life. I almost fainted periodically because I was in such horrible pain. And, you know, I lived, but uh, you know what that taught me? Satan can take something that's ugly and make it look beautiful. That pizza looked really good, and I ate it, and it almost killed me. And I, and I thought about Jesus being the bread of life. You know, Satan can take things and make them look good, like all the pornography in America, all these horrible TV shows we've got now, uh, you know, magazines. Just There's so much that Satan takes ugly stuff and makes it look pretty, but you bite and you die. <laughs> well, today let's learn that if you really want to be healthy, if you really want to be happy in this life and the next, you feast upon Christ. So let's do that. Would you take out your Bible, turn to John chapter 6, and let's learn about Jesus, who's the true, healthy bread of life. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray for each of us that we would stop feeding on things that are killing us, that Satan makes look attractive, but they are ultimately killing us. And Lord, teach us now how to feast upon the true bread of life to get healthy again. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 25. Let me set this up. Yesterday, Jesus did a miracle. He fed thousands of people from just a couple loaves and, and some, some fish. Well, the people ate, and they were happy and full. The next day, they're looking for Jesus again for another free meal. Here's what happens. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they, the crowd, said to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, the crowd, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, the miracles yesterday, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Here's the first lesson today. Seek not Jesus for materialism. Uh, this crowd wasn't seeking Jesus to hear him preach, to see more miracles. They were seeking him 
to fill their bellies. Now, nothing's necessarily wrong with that. We're supposed to pray, give us this day our daily bread regularly. So you can seek God for material things, but don't ultimately seek him for material things. In other words, I'm going to say it again, beware of the prosperity gospel. Lots of preachers on TV, lots of them teach that the reason Jesus came to earth was so you'd have that new Cadillac and, and you'd have a better house and blah, 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 blah. That's a false gospel. I know a pastor who went to a pastor's conference. The health and wealth prosperity preacher was on stage preaching to a, an audience full of pastors. And he said, quote, I just spent $50,000 for a new BMW. And then my wife wanted one, so I bought her an, a BMW for $30,000. And he said to the pastors, if you want to stay poor and not claim the promises of God, okay, that's your problem. But me, I'm going to prosper and I'm going to live like a king's kid. My friend said, a pastor in the audience stood up and said, Sir, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, and if you don't stop preaching that, you're going to hell. <laughs> and he was quickly ushered out of the auditorium. But here's the point. Jesus did not come here to give you a Cadillac. He's got something much better than a Cadillac to give you. It's called eternal life. It's called peace of mind. It's called the forgiveness of sins. So don't, don't seek Jesus mainly for material wealth. That's not why he came to earth. Look at verse 27. Jesus answered the crowd and said, Truly, truly, I say, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves. Then verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life. Here's the next lesson. Make eternal things your highest priority. You know, really go after the things of eternal life. Make eternal things your priority. I saw somebody that I haven't seen for years yesterday, and she said, you know what concerns me now about America? People aren't taking their kids to Sunday school anymore. And she said, my, my niece... You know, she's got kids now. She doesn't take them to church. And I agreed with her, and I said, I don't get these parents who they'll run to get Jimmy to uh, Little League. They'll run to get Susie to dancing lessons. But Sunday morning, well, we just don't make time for Sunday school and church. Sorry, parents, are you crazy? Who cares if Judy can dance? Do you care about where she's going to spend eternity? We are to put eternal things first. There was a man who was dying in the hospital, wealthy man. He was put in a room with a poor man. Both men are dying. The nurse comes in the room, says to the wealthy man, Sir, you look troubled. Anything wrong? And he said, Yes, he's going to his reward. I'm leaving mine. We are to live for Christ and for eternal things. That's our priority. Let's look at verse 27 again. Now, there's a problem in verse 27. See if you can figure it out. Do not work for the food which perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, especially if you're a Lutheran, saved by grace alone type Protestant, do you see a problem in verse 27? Jesus says, work for your salvation. But doesn't the Bible teach you can't work for your salvation. It's, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Aren't we saved by the grace of God? So why is he telling us to work for our salvation in verse 27? Well, try to follow this, please. 
are we to strive for our salvation? Jesus does say in, in Luke 13, strive to enter by the narrow gate. Uh, we have to repent for our salvation. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Mark is repent. You do have to repent to be saved. The, the Bible says you have to believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved, uh, Acts 16.30. The Bible says you have to persevere to the end with your faith to be saved, said Jesus, Matthew 10. And in John chapter uh, uh, 5, Jesus says those who do good get eternal life. Well, again, but what about the rest of the Bible that says we're saved surely by the grace of God, not by our good works? You don't want to say that Jesus is contradicting himself or that Paul the Apostle is contradicting. Somewhere there's a way to put them together. And so here it is, I think. We are to strive to enter by the narrow door. But Paul says in Colossians 1, I strive according to all the power that he works within me. So God is the one who's striving through him. Uh, you do have to repent. But if you read Acts chapter 11, it says God grants people repentance. You do have to believe in Christ to be saved. But it says in Acts uh, chapter uh, uh, 16, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the things said by Paul. <coughs> you do have to persevere to the end to be saved. But Paul says, uh, Philippians 1, <coughs> excuse me, God who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And also, yes, you need to perform good deeds, but it says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's workmanship who pre prepared these good deeds for us to do. So here's my point. Follow this, please. God works in us what he requires of us. So salvation is still by grace alone. Let me repeat that. God works in us what he requires of us, so that he still gets the credit for all of our salvation. Verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has sent his seal. Here's the next lesson. Eternal life is a gift. Jesus says to labor for it, but then he quickly says, but remember, it's a gift. It's a free thing. You don't earn it. Most people look at salvation as a paycheck, that I do all this stuff, and then God will save me. And Jesus is saying, no, it's a free gift. You don't earn it. It's, it's just a giveaway from God. My cousin married Jackie Gleason. You remember Jackie Gleason, the comedian, the Back, uh, he died many, a number of years ago now, but I think his third wife was my cousin. When Jackie Gleason was in his last days, somebody asked him, Mr. Gleason, do you have any questions about life and the big, the big story, etc.? And Jackie Gleason said, yeah, I've got one question. Can anybody tell me how to get to heaven? I hope somebody got to Jackie Gleason in time to tell him, you don't get to heaven by being good and earning it. It's not a paycheck. Salvation is a free gift to those who put their faith in Christ. Look at verse 28. They said, therefore, to Jesus, what shall we do, says the crowd, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Here's the next lesson. Most people are legalists. What do we do? A legalist is someone who tries to save themselves by their good deeds. What can we do? And... You know, try this someone. Ask a friend of yours. You think you're going to heaven? Most of the time, oh sure. Um, hope so. Well, why do you think you're going to heaven? I think I've been good. That's a person's called a legalist. It's something they did. I, uh, 
was asked by a, a wife to go visit her husband who, had, who was in prison. So I, I go visit the man, and we sit down. He tells me about his crimes and why he's in prison. But then he says, but I want you to know, Pastor, really, I am a basically good person. And I said to him, I'm not. He said, well, you, you're a pastor. I said, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I put no trust in my goodness for my salvation. What I've earned is hell. My trust is in Christ and his death on the cross. You know, and just, you know, most people are legalists. I interviewed a Lutheran scholar, and, and I said to him about, about his book, and I said to him, you know, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I preach that we're saved by grace all the time and that we're not saved by good deeds. And I said, but I'll still go to somebody's deathbed and, well, Mr. So-and-so, are you going to heaven if you die? Oh, I hope I've been good enough, Pastor. And I said, I said to this Lutheran professor, how come even Lutherans, who are supposed to get the fact that we're saved by grace, not works, how come even they don't get it? <laughs> and he said, because it goes so against our human nature. Our human nature is proud, and I want to think it's all about me. And this professor said, it takes an act of God to get us to see it's all about him. Our salvation is all from him and hallelujah, not from me. 500 years ago, Martin Luther called this alien righteousness. Let me read a, a paragraph from Luther. Alien righteousness is the righteousness of another that comes to me from without. This is the righteousness of Christ by which he justifies us through faith in him. Whoever does not understand or apprehend this passive alien righteousness when they're afflicted or having terrors of conscience will be overthrown. For there is no comfort of conscience so firm and so sure as this passive righteousness. In other words, I am righteous and perfect in God's sight, not because of me, but because of him, and he's given me his righteousness. I remember a professor saying once, I am so glad my salvation depends 100% on Christ and not this much on me because the professor said, I got trouble doing this much. <laughs> Next verse, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, the crowd, this is the work of God. They'd ask him, what works do we do? He narrows it down to one, makes it singular. This is the singular work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Next lesson. The one thing needful is faith in Christ. When Joan of Arc was being burned at the stake in 1431, her three last words were, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The one thing you need as you live or die is Jesus. Two men were on a train having a religious argument. One man claimed that we're saved only by Christ. And the other one man says, no, we're saved by God looking at our character. As they're arguing, here comes the conductor taking the tickets. And the man says to his friend, I want you to notice, as the, the conductor now is taking those tickets, is he making each person stand up? Is he inspecting the clothing? Is he opening his mouth, inspecting? Well, no. What's he doing? Well, he's seeing if the guy has got a ticket. And the man said precisely, when you stand before God, the thing God looks at is not this or that or this or that. Do you have your ticket? Do you have Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? The one thing Jesus boiled down to our salvation is, here is the work of God, that you believe in Christ. Let's look at verse 30. 
They said therefore to Jesus, What then do you do for a sign, a miracle, that we may see and believe you? What work, what miracle do you perform? Here's the next lesson. <clears throat> Miracles often don't work. This crowd saw a huge miracle the day before, and now they want, give me another. <laughs> you know, have you had a friend? I had a friend like this. Well, Tom, if, if God would just give me a vision, if he'd do a miracle right before me, I'd believe in him. I'm not so sure he would. I mean, you've got the stars, you've got the universe, the complex, your, your incredibly designed human body. There's miracles everywhere. I'm not sure one more is going to do it for you. Leon Morris was a New Testament scholar, and he said these words. Christ could produce no credential so conclusive, but that the Jews would demand one more conclusive still. They were always deceiving themselves with the idea that they wanted more evidence and pretending that if they had this evidence, they would believe. Thousands in every age do just the same. The plain truth is it is not, it is not one of evidence that keeps people from Christ, but want of heart. Look at verse 31. The, the crowd says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That's like 1400 B.C. with Moses. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Here's the next lesson. Recognize God as the source of your blessings. This crowd was mistaken. It looks like they thought Moses gave them the manna in the wilderness. And Jesus says, no, Moses didn't do that. My father did that. And we've got to recognize the source of our blessings. I mean, for instance, I got a paycheck last month. Who do you thank for your paycheck? Well, I could thank me because I, I put in some work. Or I could thank the good people that watch the show and sometimes they send in money that helps pay my salary. Or... Here's what I do when I get a paycheck. I say, thank you, God. You gave me the ability to speak. You gave these people the nice movements on their heart to have them send money in. And Lord God, thank you. We've got to recognize God is the source of our blessing. Years ago, there was something called the Dead Letter Office in Washington, D.C., where all the letters to Santa went. Thousands of letters came to this one office in Washington, D.C. This is many years ago. And some man read them all. But after Christmas, he said... One letter came in thanking Santa. <laughs> Can I tell you the best habit I've ever developed? I think it, this happened about 10 years ago. Every night before I go to bed, I think back through the day, and I thank God for five things he did for me. I do that almost every night. Can I encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, think through this day. God, thank you for that, 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 that. Do it every night. Recognize God as the source of your blessings. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Next lesson. Jesus gives life. Jesus is not a bad pizza pizza. The devil gives you bad pizza. Jesus is the bread of life. And if you want to be healthy, see through the devil's lives and stop eating Satan's food and start eating the bread of life that will make you healthy. Jesus gives life. We've done this TV show now for like 23 years. We did a whole show 
on a prostitute who left prostitution and now she's a born-again Christian. It was a wonderful half hour. We had a lady that was into New Age witchcraft stuff. We did a whole half hour. She told us of her story of coming out of weirdness into Christ. Uh, we've had drug addicts on this show who now are having uh, victorious lives in Christ and they're so much happier. So if you want to be happy, if you want to be healthy, Jesus is the one who will give you life. Satan's lying to you. Verse 34, And they said to Jesus, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. When Jesus says the word I am here, he's claiming to be God. Now follow this. 1400 B.C., Moses at the burning bush. God, what's your name? And God says, I am who I am. 1400 years later, Jesus is born, and seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the living one. And, and what's happening here? And, and it says, and the Jews, and before Abraham was, he says, I am. And the Jews picked up stones to throw at him because he, being a man, made himself out to be God. When Jesus says, I am, I am, he's claiming to be the Old Testament God. Last point for today, verse 35. He who, com he who believes in me shall never thirst. Last point today. Jesus satisfies. You know, I, d I didn't realize this about Darwin, founder of evolution. Listen to this. Darwin wrote this. I was a young man with unformed ideas. I threw out questions and suggestions. To my astonishment, they took on like wildfire. Later in his life, he suggested that his Christian friend talk to the neighbors. And she said, what should I talk to them about? Talk to them about Jesus, said Darwin. <laughs> I'm not saying he was a Christian, but he knew something was true. Napoleon was not a godly man. Napoleon said this, a marvel, I marvel that whereas the ambitious dreams of myself, Caesar, and Alexander have vanished into thin air, a Judean peasant, Jesus, has stretched out his hands across the centuries and controlled the destinies of men and of nations. In other words, you know... Darwin won't satisfy you. Evolution won't satisfy you. Napoleon won't satisfy you. You know the one person who has satisfied more poor human souls for 2,000 years than anybody for 2,000 years? It's Jesus. So I just want to close with this. Jesus is the bread of life. Feed on him. And what I mean by that, turn off the TV set and read your Bible tonight. Spend time in prayer tonight. Get into a church every Sunday morning. Feed on Christ. Take Holy Communion because he'll make you healthy. You watch too much TV, it'll make you sick. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. We've only got a few minutes left, but I'd like to go back to today's show and ask you a couple of other questions. First of all, you said about in the Bible, where exactly does it say Jesus is God? Okay, good. Uh, there's a lot of places, but just quick and easy. There's three easy places. John chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. 
John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was God, and Jesus was God. The word okay. was God. That's an easy one. Although Jehovah's Witnesses twist it, but it says what it says. Then you go to Colossians chapter 1, where it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of deity or godness dwelt in Jesus. Okay. You can go to Hebrews chapter uh, 1, that says, where God the Father calls Jesus God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. You can go to Philippians 2, where Jesus existed as God. There's a lot of places. So there are actual verses oh, where it says God, because your examples didn't say that. No. Okay. If Jesus is the bread of life and satisfies, why are so many Christians so dissatisfied? I think it's because we're still in the flesh. I mean, Jesus does satisfy us in this life, and especially he satisfies us in the next life. But we do have satisfaction because of Christ in this life. But we're still human. We still complain. Things aren't perfect. And we won't know the total satisfaction of Christ till the next life. Okay. You stress that we're saved by God's grace and not our good works. But on Judgment Day, doesn't the Bible teach that God will also be judging us on our works? Yes, it does. We will be judged by our deeds, by our works. We won't be saved by our works but will be judged by our works. What that means, I think, is we are saved by grace alone. If you know Jesus, you're saved. But grace never is alone. It always changes your life. So uh, we're going to be saved by grace, but your life will show whether you've been saved by grace. Okay, and then you said not to seek Jesus for material things, but Jesus told us, told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that really asking God for mm -hmm. material things? And as a Christian, shouldn't we, right. on material things, consult you, God and ask for his direction? Jackie, if I lose my keys, I pray. <laughs> you know, I do. And, and people, some, some pastor thought, you don't, I heard somebody say that they heard a pastor say, you don't bother God with little things like that. Well, Jesus said, a bird doesn't fall to the ground apart from our Father. I can bother God with little things. And so what, what, I, what I meant in the sermon, though, is you don't, the, the main reason we seek God is not for material things. A car, a house in Bermuda, you know. Uh, the main thing we seek Him for is eternal life. But we should seek his guidance. We should so seek when his we're guidance, doing and this. we should seek him for daily bread, that kind of thing. But we don't have to seek him for filet mignon every, every meal. Okay. Yeah. You said that God is the source of our blessings. Does that mean he's also the source of our troubles and trials? I think God is the source of everything. So, Jackie, when I go through trials, are those from God? Everything's from God. And some people don't like that belief. Some Christians just totally reject that. But uh, it says in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials, for God's using those things to produce endurance, patience, etc. So much as I, I mean, I, and listen to this, Jackie, at, we were talking about Moses at the bush, the burning bush. God said to Moses, Moses, who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now notice from that verse, not only does God make people seeing, he also makes people blind. Well, we've only got 30 seconds okay. left, and you mentioned that this program has been on the air now for 23 years. You may be watching this for the first time, though, and wonder how it got here. It's been because of the faithfulness of people who have helped to support this ministry. At the end of the program, you're going to see our website. If you're just watching for the first time, I'd invite you to go there. You can see past shows. You can find out how you can help this ministry to grow. And we pray that each and every one of you who are watching the show today would pray for the success of this ministry if it be God's will. Thanks, and have a great week with God.
you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you would like a DVD copy of this program or past programs, please visit us at pastorstudy.org, a place to learn biblical Christianity. <laughs>